Welcome to episode 62 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. Um, We're getting way too far into summer for my liking, but it may be um, a point in the summer where some SLPs are thinking maybe I won't go back to my in-person job and maybe I will look into doing this telepractice thing um, full-time or part-time, but make that switch. So I wanted to give a couple tips for things to look at when you're looking at different companies. There's kind of like the basics that everyone thinks of first, things like how much am I going to get paid? Um, Am I a W-2 employee? Am I a contract employee? Uh, So those are kind of the basic things. And also, I think along with that, looking at whether or not they're paying you for indirect and direct time and looking at the percentages there. Those are all good things to look at. But a couple of the things that I've learned too is things like um, looking at if they have any type of mentorship program at the company. Things like, is there someone that you can turn to when you have questions, especially if you're new to this telepractice thing? And also along with that, just ways to connect to other people in the company. Do they have kind of a um, social media, but for people within the company where you can ask questions and get advice uh, with that and kind of have that feeling of working with people, even though you're isolated in your home. And then another thing along with that is do they... uh, have a way for you to get resources? Do they have a resource library for um, different materials or is it kind of we've provided you with the company and the contract and all of those kind of things you have to find yourself? And then maybe just asking people, you know, that have worked there, the ease of using a um, their online resources because uh, they're not all created equal. I have found out mm-hmm. even if they do have them and just kind of what's what's the infrastructure that they have built in. So I hope that helps in thinking of some of those um, different kind of questions to ask in interviews and not the ones that are most obvious. And the other thing I mm-hmm. was going to add to is just that overall like feel of the company and how they treat their therapists. And sometimes that's hard to gauge at first. So Mm -hmm. if you get into one and you're not loving how you're treated, there are other fish in the sea when it comes to those online companies. And, you know, especially the fact that it is online, you don't have to pick up and move. You don't have to do anything really extreme to switch from one, um, company to the other. So, you know, try a couple different and see what fits best for you, but don't let one, the feel of one company turn you off of telepractice in general too. Cause I think there are a lot of different options and a lot of good fits for different people. Right. Exactly. And was it, is it glass doors, the website? Um, I think it's called glassdoor.com. It's the former employees who rate companies. Now, oh, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. So you can read, you know, posts from former employees of companies. Now, you have to take, you have to, again, sort of judge whether or not you want to take that as, as being the gospel, <laughs> as being true right, or right. not. Right, right. Because it's someone that 
you know, left and for some reason wasn't happy with their experience. So right. balancing that <laughs> with maybe people that still work there. Exactly. So it, you know, it could have been someone who was fired because they were, you know, terrible employees. So you have to kind of, you know, dig deep and, and get a good um, mm-hmm. representation of, of, uh, of different comments and then decide what is best. But I, I agree with you trying to talk with someone who's maybe a current employee or a former employee and just get some, you know, really accurate information um, and, mm-hmm. and get everything in writing, right. <laughs> get everything right. and read, read the fine details. Uh, but yeah, it's, right. we were having some similar issues. Uh, similar conversations in my pro- uh, professional issues class with my grad students right now, even though they don't graduate until next May, it is mm-hmm. time for them to work on resumes and cover letters and all that. And we've talked about a lot of these issues in the class that, you know, in a very short two semesters, they're going to be out there, you know, pounding the pavement, trying to jobs. find a new position. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you're teaching them that because I feel like that is something that got skipped over <laughs> when I was in grad school. They teach you how to be a therapist, but not how to find a job and, you know, advocate for yourself to make sure you're treated right as a therapist. That's right. That's right. And I think it's very important uh, going forward. My mm-hmm. question to you, do you do you know of any um, telepractice, telepractice companies that are hiring new grads into CFY positions? That is a good question. I feel like that is not typical, but where our grads now are coming out with more telepractice experience, I'm hoping that is something that um, it becomes more common. The other thing that I think can be an issue with it is finding a CFY supervisor because there's every state has different laws about a CFY supervisor as well as ASHA having laws about a CFY supervisor. So I feel like that might be a roadblock, but I also mm-hmm. feel like it shouldn't be because it should be easier to get supervision <laughs> uh, through telepractice than having to go there in person, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I have not seen a lot of those available, but I'm hoping that changes. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I, I haven't heard that they were really recruiting uh, out of grad school yet, you know, in terms of yeah. CFY positions. But uh, I, you know, have quite a few students who are very interested in telepractice and and I'm sort of beating them over the head to get comfortable with it because it will be what you'll be doing (laughs) more than likely. And so, uh, and and many of them are quite good and and sort of taken to it very easily and love it, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I, I don't want them to be disappointed if they can't find something relatively soon after graduation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hope some roadblocks to that are moved soon so that can happen. Yeah, and speaking of some of those roadblocks, um, what I've been reading about the uh, federal stuff that's going on, the the Biden administration just uh, extended the public health emergency related to COVID. And so with that comes a lot of the changes that came to about reimbursement and telepractice and telehealth and all that stuff gets extended as well, but I still encourage people to make sure they check with their state to make sure there's nothing has been revised or canceled in terms of policies and billing and things like that. But uh, along with 
the the White House doing that with the public health emergency. There's also the the you know again so many bills that are being circulated right now uh, in Congress that basically support continuing everything that we have. So <clears throat> I'm still very very hopeful that over the next coming uh, few weeks that we're going to have a really good um, outcome with some legislation that will preserve a lot of the, the reimbursement is the main thing. And then probably secondary to that would be being able to cross state lines with services and not having those limitations on us as well. So I do no. think those things are coming. Um, right. It, it, you know, everything I'm reading on some of these um, different websites and different electronic newsletters I'm getting uh, that, focus on telehealth or telepractice and things like that. They're all, you know, saying it's coming. It's just, yeah. Take, take some time to work through Congress, but yeah, I think we'll get there. I know I had a client this week. That's been a private client of mine that they said that they are selling their house and moving into their RV and are going to travel around in it. Mm. And I was like, I was so excited for them, but then I had to also be like, okay, I'm only licensed in these states. <laughs> so anytime you travel outside <laughs> of these states, you have to let me know. <laughs> right. So they've got three states they can travel in and still That's get right. services. And I told them too, I'm like, I'm hoping this changes soon. It's it's in the works. <laughs> right. Right. That's funny. You can only vacation, but these but just stay in these two states. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> You've got California, Utah, Idaho. That's your limits. Right. Yeah. If you can't if you can't enjoy yourself in those three states, there's something wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. Yep. That's a, that's what happens, right? So on the podcast, we have uh you 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 went to a training recently, right? And 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 this led to recruiting someone to be on the podcast. Yeah. So um I did I would did a training through uh, UCLA and their peers clinic. And it was for social skills with students with autism. And the minute I started the training, I was like, oh, we have to have them on the podcast because they are doing some great things with um, social skills, but also adapting it for our telepractice world right now. So we're really excited to hear from Jasper from the peers project. Awesome. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, 
back to the interview. Okay, we want to welcome Jasper Estabio from uh, the UCLA and the Peers Project to the podcast. Um, Jasper, tell us more about uh, the Peers Project, the Peers Program. Great. Well, thank you, Todd and Kim, for having me. It is a pleasure to be here um, to be able to talk a little bit about uh, the Pierce Clinic. Um, so I am Jasper Sabio. I'm a postdoctoral fellow and clinical instructor at the UCLA Pierce Clinic. I primarily lead our young adult groups, um, but we do have programs as well for teenagers, preschool um, kids, as well as um a few different programs that are in the research space. We have a college to career program um, in Peers for Dating. Um, and the goal really of our clinic is to create programs that are evidence-based, um, that teach ecologically valid social skills to individuals on the spectrum across the lifespan. And so we really heavily emphasize generalization of skills um, beyond the treatment setting. Um, and I think one of the biggest values of our program is that we um, teach individuals on the spectrum, as well as other um, different social skills challenges, um, these particular skills in a very broken down concrete ways. Uh, we have very uh, specific rules and steps, um, but we also teach social coaches simultaneously. So that helps translate these skills beyond the weekly sessions that we have. And so our participants are able to translate their skills in their real lives. And so we really heavily emphasize practicing, getting some in vivo coaching and feedback, as well as practicing, um, you know, in their school settings with their families and loved ones. Right? I think that it's such a joy as a clinician to say, you know, I love that you're able to speak with me and interact with me. Now go do this elsewhere with other people who are more mm -hmm. meaningful to your everyday life. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's a little bit about the Peers Clinic. Um, and I'm thrilled to be able to discuss more about how we've been able to translate our programs to telehealth um, and, you know, moving things beyond. Yeah, because I um, I attended the training a couple weeks ago, and that's mm -hmm. one of the things that I was most impressed with was not only did you guys translate it so you could train professionals to do provide the services online, but you also um, adjusted so you would train your the students going through the program to interact with people online, and that was one of the things that impressed me the most. So talk about that, how that came about, and what what you guys had to change and do differently. Right. Yes. I mean, I have to say I was resistant. That was one of my mm -hmm. biggest things coming into Zoom and telehealth. And, um, you know, I, I think our young adult group was the first program because um, we meet on Monday evenings. So we got that email Friday that we had to do all of our groups over telehealth. Um, so that means that my young adult groups were the first ones to go to pilot this. Um, but I think that, um, Kim, I agree. We really had so much success in being able to translate our program. Um, so we meet, uh, over Zoom and we have um, concurrent groups. So we have the participants, whether it's our young adults or teens, um, and they meet in their room, going on cut room. Um, and then we have their social coaches meet in their room. And then um, for um, our behavior rehearsals, which is where they have the opportunity to practice the skills, whether it's starting conversations, um, you know, asking somebody out on a date, um, handling disagreements, all those kinds of things. We practice those in breakout sessions. Um, so we do everything on Zoom. 
Um, and we have wonderful clinic coordinators and behavioral coaches who help facilitate these interactions. Um, and so in terms of uh, procedures, you know, I think that that was pretty straightforward for us to translate into Zoom. Um, but as Kim had noted, for the skills that we actually teach in our programs, um, we learned very quickly, right? It's not just starting conversations, um, end of story, but how do we translate those skills and entering a group conversation in person? How, what does that look like over Zoom, right? If our, um, if our teens are uh, participating in a book club or a D&D club online, it's not going to be the same um, as in person, right? They're not going to be walking right. up uh, moving a little bit closer because no, you don't need to do that on a camera when you're right. on Zoom. Um, and so we've really been able to teach these skills um, uh, and break them down both in person as well as online, um, which I think has been really helpful because this is kind of just the way that we're going to be moving forward, right? If people mm -hmm. are working remotely or if they're participating in um, different virtual groups, um, and so it's really important for us to be able to uh, respond to uh, the environments that we're in and provide those social skills uh, that are most applicable to, uh, you know, the lives of our participants. And how, how well have the participants translated going in person to Zoom and back and using mm -hmm. those skills? Has, has that worked well? It has. Yes. Thank you, Todd, for that question. Um, you know, in my uh, role in the Pierce Clinic, you know, I am a clinician, but I also wear a research hat. And so um, we actually, I actually presented data at a conference earlier this year examining our um, telehealth outcomes for our teen groups. Um, and it was kind of comical presenting this data because, um, you know, in terms of pre to post outcomes for our telehealth groups, super effective. But when we compared the outcomes from our telehealth groups to our in-person groups, the lines were on top of each other. And uh, I, when I had to just chuckle to myself because mm -hmm. I'm presenting these graphs and it just looks like these two, like one line that's right on mm -hmm. top of each other. Um, and so the effectiveness is still there. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just really was so wonderful to see that not only anecdotally are we seeing successes and being able to support social skills, um, but social skills in the context of a pandemic for individuals who already struggle with social communication mm -hmm. and those interpersonal relationships. Um, and so we've really been able to translate our groups um, to telehealth and, and, and show via the data um, that they are just mm -hmm. as effective as um, our in-person groups, which, you know, really convinced me. I know that I had just said that I was, um, that I was a little bit hesitant, um, maybe a little mm -hmm. bit more hesitant, <laughs> mm -hmm. but the data doesn't lie. And so it was really, really rewarding to see that those numbers and to, to, uh, to talk to our families and say, Hey, these groups are effective. Um, and honestly, I really tout that efficacy to those parents and social skills or social coaches. Because I'm meeting with everyone over Zoom, but our participants, they're practicing these social skills in person with their social coaches. And so, again, it's that translation um, of skills that I think is one of the biggest um, values and most important components of our groups in telehealth. Yeah, because I feel like social skills is one of those things that people kind of say, oh, I don't know how I would do that. 
uh, over telehealth because I need to be in person to, you know, show them things like the distance that you need to be between someone or make sure they're making eye contact. And it sounds like um, that that social coach is kind of how you guys have gotten around that. Is there any other tips that you have for people that maybe are using different programs or want to look into the peers program or just how how can we work on social skills over a telehealth, a telepractice setting? Sure. I mean, I think that um, the role play videos are also very, very effective. Um, And we know that that is um, a method that works for a lot of learners, regardless of diagnosis um, or what um, kind of content we want to be teaching. Um, And those video role plays have been just extremely easy to to show over telehealth because you can share your screen on Zoom. Um, We're playing these videos and they're able to observe the skills um, for what people are doing right, what they're doing wrong. Um, And, you know, uh, Kim, you've seen our videos. They're pretty comical. Um, But all of our our participants are cracking up. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. This is definitely not what you want to do. So being able to, you know, tap into our social learning theory and observe these skills. What are the do's? What are the don'ts? Um, And then breaking down those skills into those concrete behaviors and saying, okay, step one, this is what I'm going to do. Step two, this is what I do afterwards. Um, And additionally, providing those opportunities to practice, right? Because um, I mean, something that I say a lot in our groups is like, you know, I can give you the entire manual, I can give you all of this content, but it's not enough for social skills, right? I mean, I could read a book on rock climbing, doesn't make mm-hmm. me a rock climber, right? I mean, also I'm a very, very afraid of heights, so that's not <laughs> going to be effective. Um, but when it comes to social skills, they really got to practice. And so I think, you know, bringing it back, watching those video role plays, getting those opportunities to practice in vivo with coaching and feedback, as well as practicing with their social coaches. I mean, those have really been the superstars of being able to translate these skills into telehealth. Yeah. And I, you guys do have an awesome library of um, the social skills and mm. the role plays for that. I, before I went through the Pierce program, I was kind of like piecing together uh, other mm. videos and things. And I did kind of have, or there's websites where you can kind of find a library and links for them. But I loved yours because I wasn't, you know, when I found other ones, I was kind of like finding that one clip that was appropriate for teens within the Big Bang Theory episodes <laughs> that I could show. Too. Mm. Yep, yep. I, I feel mm-hmm. like I've never been to a training on autism where they didn't show a Big Bang Theory episode. <laughs> so, because it is, it's mm-hmm. it's example of you know like what this looks like and you know somewhat mm-hmm. the real world, and um, so it's a great way to not have to kind of piece together your own things if you do want to go through the peers program. But it's doable um, from just there's a lot of things on YouTube already to kind of find those uh, role plays. And I I have found those very effective with my students, too. And they're fun for them, too. They kind of get more engaged with it than if I just try and tell them what it looks like. Great, right? Just being able to have that visual um, and appealing to different types of learning styles, whether it's visual, whether it's reading something, whether it's practicing or all of the above, 
right? Those are the ways that we learn um, and, you know, further refine skills. So I think that um, just as you said, Kim, being able to find content and materials that we can share over telehealth has been really effective. Um, and I think just expanding access to those resources has been great. Um, we have our video role play library that's available um, and, you know, as much as I love um, Sesame Street videos and Big Bang Theory videos, right? Sometimes we want more because um, we don't just want to show one type of video. Um, and so I think just having lots of different content available has been great. And um, when I lost my train of thought, I was just going to react to that one. Um, you, on the website, and what Kim had mentioned too, is the is the training that professionals can take. And I, mm-hmm. I saw something that was it takes several months, or it's over a course of what six months or so. Am I so we have our uh, yes, we have our uh, certified training seminars, um, which are led by either Dr. Liz Logson or Dr. Shannon Bates, um, and we've been able to translate those training seminars from in person, where mm-hmm. either um, you know. Either Dr. Logison or Dr. Bates would fly out to a location or we would host them at UCLA. Um, but we've been able to host them um, over telehealth. And I think some of our training seminars have had um, like over 200 attendees, which is so wonderful from across yeah. the globe. Um, and so it is typically a three-day training. Um, and providers can get certified in either our teen program, young adult. Um, we also have a school-based program too, which I think is very um, helpful. Um, and it is a three-day training um, where all of the content is reviewed and you watch those videos. You learn how to teach these social skills and how to implement the peers program in whatever clinic or agency um, the provider is. Um, and you receive certification, which I think is really lovely to be able to show families that, um, you know, you have this certification and that you are um, a certified provider. So just so that people can understand the, the, the type of approach that you use, how is it different than some of the other approaches that are out there mm-hmm. for, for individuals with autism mm-hmm. or on the spectrum? And I mean, there are so many programs that are out there, which is wonderful. And also, I think as uh, for our families and for our individuals on the spectrum, it can be really difficult to choose, right? Lots of options. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to know what's going to be the best fit. Um, What I can say about the peers program is that it is manualized, which is really helpful, I think, in terms of learning skills. Um, There are specific lessons for different skills that people might be interested in, whether it's, um, you know, how do I handle a disagreement or how do I handle bullying? Um, And there are specific lessons in the curriculum that um, are very helpful. Um, And within all of the content that we have, it is all what we say is ecologically valid. So how people who are socially successful do these skills in the real world. Right. So one of the skills, one of the very first skills that we teach is how to start a conversation with people. Right. And we say, what do most people um, are? What kind of advice do most people get when it comes to, you know, meeting new people? Because um, frankly, it's usually bad advice. Right. It's no fault of our parents mm-hmm. or adults that are in our lives. But if I had if I walked up to the two of you and said, hi, I'm Jasper. 
that's, I mean, that's the conversation is, is done. right? Mm-hmm. And so we really break down those skills um, and say, okay, step one, you want to make sure that you're watching and listening to this conversation. Um, you want to identify the topic, right? You don't want to intrude. Um, there needs to be a context for why you're initiating this conversation. Um, and then we break it down again and say that the next step, you want to um, mention the topic. Right. I did all this work watching and listening. Maybe I'm using a prop, right? So that way it doesn't seem like I'm just eavesdropping, even though I am. Right? Um, and to enter that conversation, um, you can do that in different ways, whether it's asking a question, making a comment, giving a compliment, right? And then we're going to trade information and make sure that I'm assessing your interest. Do you want to talk with me just because I jumped joined this conversation? Um, that doesn't mean that I'm done there. And then at the very end, if everything was going well, then I can introduce myself, right? And I think for many of us, right, when we see it broken down that way, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, oh, yeah, that's totally what most people do, right? Right. But that's not really the advice that we're given, unfortunately. And Mm so, you know, I think that the, the, the ecologically valid component of what are people in the real world doing? Um, that makes a lot of sense. And so it's evidence-based um, and ecologically valid. And it, it, what it sounds like to me is just a, extremely functional. It's just trying mm-hmm. to be as functional and yes. pragmatic as possible mm-hmm. um, for for these in, for individuals with autism. So it's mm-hmm. um, I like that. I like that a lot. It makes Great. and it is you know it makes sense. You don't get into this these you know back and forth of what's best but let's just what's functional for this person mm-hmm. yeah, you know and i think that breaking it down into concrete steps and behaviors makes a lot of sense for our individuals on the spectrum right oftentimes mm-hmm. are like we can think as clinicians loved ones of people who are on the spectrum they often say like I just don't know what to do, right? Or I can start a conversation, but where do I go from there? Um, Mm -hmm. And so being able to say, okay, step one, this is what you can do. Step two, Mm -hmm. it's kind of just like a relief off of um, many of our participants' shoulders to say, oh, Mm -hmm. how do I assess interest, right? It's not just a vibe or an energy Mm -hmm. or a feeling. It's, are they looking at me? Are they facing me? Are they talking with me? Right. And then it's like those light bulb moments that are like, you know, it's not just skills that people have inherent and that they can pick up that um, individuals on the spectrum can never learn, but it's actually accessible and really broken down in a way that everyone can learn it. Yeah, I love that. And the whole way that I heard about the Pierce program in the first place was I was in an IEP meeting and a parent mm-hmm. mentioned it. That and the, that was one of the things she mentioned is, oh, it had, you know, my daughter went through it and I would love for my son to go through it. And it just had those very laid out steps. And I was looking for something and I was like, so that's the parents are getting that too. And having that feeling that, oh, this is working because they give very specific steps for our students. And so I loved that about it. Absolutely. Right. And then the parents are learning how to, or social coaches um, are learning how to coach their young adult or their teen. Right. I think that that's really helpful um, and meaningful for most of our families to say, okay, not only is my child learning these skills, but I feel very well equipped and how to break down these skills too. 
right? So I can check for interest. Were they looking at you? Were they facing you? Were they talking with you, right? So it's breaking things down, not only for the individual on the spectrum, but also for their social coach. Mm-hmm. I, love I know a few university faculty members that I could share this whole approach with that they need to, <laughs> that they need to learn some skills <laughs> for themselves. <laughs> I, know, I think I, mean, I sat I, through it too and saw things that I'm like, oh yeah, I could do better with that. <laughs> I, I mean, when it comes to a lot of these skills, I mean, I don't want to be policing people, but sometimes I'm mm-hmm. I'm texting my friends and saying, hey, you need to follow the two message rule or, mm-hmm. you know, before or after double digits. And I think these concrete rules, I mean, they make us laugh, but they're so true and really helpful mm-hmm. for all of us. <laughs> Right. And you start noticing it all, all the time. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking that um, kind of a big buzzword in autism and autism advocacy right now is masking and mm-hmm. not masking, um, you know, their personality or their traits to kind of fit in. How does peers like kind of address that issue and take that on and treat them in a way that's not making them not be who they are. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this question, Kim. Um, because it, it's so important for us as individuals and loved ones who work with people on the spectrum or interact with people on the spectrum um, to be very cognizant of that. Um, because I would never want to be someone who is, you know, shoving skills down somebody's throat and saying, this is what you need to do to seem normal or to be um, accepted or not weird. Right. And mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that I think is really um, necessary for us to address. Um, and so when it comes to masking, which, um, you know, is definitely a buzzword right now, um, I think that what's important is uh, reminding people that friendships and relationship are a choice. Right. And um, it's not about learning these skills so that way you can be the most popular person or the most liked person, um, but learning skills and steps so that way they feel better equipped and better skilled to interact with the people that they actually want to interact with. Right? And it's not about, you know, teaching somebody how to um, enter any conversation just because we want to. Um, but I want people to know skills so that way they can connect with other people who are interested in the things that they're interested in and to foster those more meaningful relationships rather than just learning skills um, because they're supposed to, right? And um, so that's my sense on masking um, and you know, just being very, very blunt about it where we don't want to teach people to camouflage who they are, but I want to teach them skills so that way they can better connect with the people that they are interested in. I think that's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I've approached it too, is that if you don't have the skill, then you don't have the choice to move it, use it or not. But if I at least give you the skill, then you can choose when you want to use it as far as social skills. And that's kind of been my view on it. Yeah, I agree. Right. It's not that you have to use these skills, but when you want to and with the people who matter with you, um, then you have the skills ready and you are successful so that way you can deepen those relationships. Mm -hmm. So where do you guys want to go in the next couple of years? More research, more more funding, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you want to continue to expand or or 
what what's in the plans basically I mean, all of the above. Um, I mentioned a few different programs that are in the research phase right now. Um, so we're currently conducting an RCT on our Peers for Dating program. And um, we just wrapped up our first cohort, which was so fun. I mean, as uh, the young adult group leader, we do four sessions on dating. Uh, but the full 16-week curriculum has been so meaningful. And, uh, you know, our groups are so sweet already. But it's just been such a joy to be able to work with them. Um, and so we're doing ongoing recruitment and the next cohort is set to start in the next month um, and then we'll have another cohort in, our, in the research phase um, later this year. Um, we also have our college to career program which focuses on um, vocational skills and job soft skills like interviewing, how do you interact with a coworker, creating a resume, um, all of those kinds of things related to job skills um, and that's also in the research phase. Um, so hopefully continuing to expand on those programs, um, building up evidence um, for, you know, the efficacy and effectiveness of these programs um, and hopefully um, being able to publish more um, and just, you know, expanding our I think if anything, running these groups on Zoom has shown us that they work and we can reach participants who are not just in Los Angeles County um, or local to whatever clinics um, the providers are working in. I mean, I'm seeing participants who are calling in from Massachusetts or Vermont or, you know, from a different time zone. Um, and I think that that's just um, such a silver lining of having these groups, groups remotely is that access to service has just really been expanded because let me be honest, nobody wants to drive to UCLA at four o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> sit through that right. LA traffic, right? I don't want to do it. <laughs> and 405, so, stay away, right? I yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. So I think expanding our telehealth groups um, and continuing to, you know, see families and um, promote social skills because, you know, again, not to get too sentimental, but I think that it's just such a joy to be able to teach people skills that allow them to connect with others. It's really sappy of me to say, but I love that aspect of being able to work with clients and families uh, and just see the successes that they're having. Yeah, when you can be a part of something like that and see over time how the how the program or the intervention has has changed either the family or the or the person you're working with or the child it's it's very exciting and it's you know so rewarding to be able to experience that totally yeah we have some participants who uh you know were part of our teen program years ago they come through our young adult programs um, they attend our boot camps or uh, you know shorter um, kind of these booster sessions um, and then now they're coming back and saying I want more can I enroll in the career program can I enroll in the dating program right and so um, you know it's just wonderful to be able to see people's development and trajectory over time um, but also when I'm putting on my research hat on says that we need to continue to support skills and development across the life span. Right? Mm -hmm. And so um, it's just that ongoing need and being responsive to those that we aim to help um, and to support. To develop that seniors program for those 60 and over. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows, right? <laughs> well, 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 Jasper, it's, it's, it's time for our moment of Zen, I think. Mm -hmm. Are you afraid? No, I'm all in. I like it. 
So we have we have a list of questions uh, based on the Proust questionnaire, loosely based, um, which was you know stolen on. I don't know if you ever saw the inside the actor studio. You're in California. It's all about Hollywood and mm-hmm. L.A. So inside the actor studio, at the end, they would the host would always you know ask the um, the actor these series of you know ten questions mm-hmm. and then that kind of thing. Like this, okay. I'm, so, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> so, okay. So what's the most used app on your phone? Uh, email. Email. Yeah, I know. I know. the. I, I feel your pain. Um, what's the last TV series you streamed? Um, actually, I just binged the last season of Atypical on Netflix. Oh, how how appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Never stops for me. <laughs> So, so how did they do in portraying individuals with autism? I think they were very um, uh, respectful, and you can. I love that they also include actors who um, have various disabilities, and I know that they that the writers were um, consulting with various groups and self advocates. Um, so, you know, I think that there are a lot of feelings about the show, uh, but from what mm-hmm. I've seen, I think that it uh, is very. Uh, it is very sensitive or it is um, it does a great job in saying this is just one experience, one story and it's mm-hmm. fictional. Right? Um, right. So, yeah, that's my feeling on it. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. Um, what's a favorite book? My favorite book. Ooh. You know, you would think that as somebody who practices social skills that I would have a good answer for this um but my favorite i don't know <laughs> i read a lot of books but um i don't think i have a favorite okay that's fine um who would you like to have dinner with dead or alive uh michelle obama oh very good mm-hmm. uh what's your favorite genre of music Favorite genre music. I mm-hmm. love um, army music. I also went to graduate school in Louisiana, so I also love jazz music. Awesome, awesome. Jazz is probably my favorite as well. <laughs> um, the most exotic or farthest place you've ever been? Um, farthest place? Well, I am Filipina, so I have to give a shout out to my homeland, uh, the Philippines. Um, but also done some traveling in the Caribbean um, and um, Central America. Awesome. Great. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Ooh, uh, skydiving. As I said, I'm terrified yeah. of heights. So skydiving. Say, that, that, that would be scary for you. I'm I'm terrified of heights as well. So I'm not skydiving. <laughs> um, what is a pet peeve? Oh, oh there's so many. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I forget I teach people social skills. So yeah, lots of different things that uh, irk me. I think, um, you know, just being inconsiderate, but also this is very minor, but people who are very slow walkers, um, and kind of just take up space. That one's tough for mm-hmm. me. Um, and um, I think, oh, I have to say in my home life, um, not fi- not refilling the ice tray. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a problem for me as yes. well. Yep. 
Um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what profession would you like to try? I love this question because I've thought about it. I would love to be a children's book author because um, I love to write social stories for a lot of my clients. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. in another life, I would be a children's book author. Ooh, I awesome. would buy those books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> skills in children's books. I would buy those. <laughs> There's a market right there. Um, last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You. Uh, welcome home. Good. Awesome. Well, Jasper, it's been, it's been wonderful meeting you and, and hearing more about everything that is going on there. So how can people reach you or learn more about all the programs you have to offer? Sure. So the Pierce Clinic is available um, at pierceclinic at ucla.edu. You can also look at our website um, and you can find us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pierce Clinic. Um, For myself, you can contact me at uh, jsubio at mennat.ucla.edu. But, you know, we're always recruiting, available. um, And, you know, I've just been so thrilled to be here with the two of you talking about the Peers Program and social skills and, uh, you know, just talking about my love of teaching people skills to connect with others. So thank you both very much for having me today. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you, Jasper, for joining us on the podcast. I think the work that she and the team at UCLA is doing for individuals with autism is just extraordinary. So please go check out what they're doing. Go to the website, read about the research, about the techniques, everything that they're doing. It is just phenomenal. And you know what, dear listener, you are also phenomenal and extraordinary because of many, many things. But for one thing specifically, and that is for leaving us a five-star review, please do so. That helps us to attract new listeners and to expand this podcast. And that's what we want to do. So thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.